0: Hi, listeners. This is Lainey from Crimes of Passion. For the next three episodes, I'm teaming up with Molly Brandenburg from Conspiracy Theories for a special deep dive into the life and death of Princess Diana.
1: Diana's fatal car crash happened 25 years ago, and there are still more questions than answers about what really happened.
0: A note before we begin. This episode includes discussions of disordered eating, self-harm, and death we advise extreme caution for children under 13. In 1996, 35-year-old Diana, Princess of Wales, was paranoid. She was free from the royal family for the first time in her adult life, but her widely publicized divorce left her feeling more exposed than ever.
1: That October, she wrote a letter to a trusted friend. In it, she made three
0: dark predictions. First, that there was a plot to kill her. Second, that it would be made to look like a car accident. And third, perhaps most shocking of all, Charles, Prince of Wales, was behind the operation.
1: Welcome to Princess Diana: The Royal Special, a three-episode podcast special presented by Conspiracy Theories and Crimes of Passion. I'm Molly Brandenburg, and I'm Lainey Hobbs. Today, we're bringing listeners of both our shows together for a mini-series examining one of the British Crown's most controversial figures, Princess Diana.
0: In July 1981. 750 million people tuned in to watch Diana Spencer's wedding to Prince Charles. 20 years later, 2.5 billion watched her funeral procession. These
1: landmarks pinpoint the middle and end of a story that captured the hearts of many, but they hardly cover the whole narrative.
0: Which is where we come in. Today, we'll track Diana's early life, the tragic downfall of her marriage, and her humanitarian contributions. We'll also explore Diana's last year of life as she broke away from tradition and became an international icon. In the next episode, we'll
1: investigate the haunting clues surrounding her fatal crash, including potential murder plots and suppressed eyewitness testimony. Then, in our final episode, we'll look at how Diana's remarkable life and death impacted the royal family and the world for years afterward.
0: We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us.
2: This episode is brought to you by Terminix. There's one thing we can all agree on. Dealing with pests is a pain. But luckily, Terminix can help. with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com conspiracy today to get 10% off your first month. That's hel
3: slash conspiracy. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be.
1: In the wake of Princess Diana's death on August 31st, 1997,
0: she was hailed as the people's princess. By many accounts, Diana had been a British commoner who'd gained her status by some stroke of luck. But as much as she's remembered that way, Diana was never truly destined for regular life.
1: Both her parents had strong ties to the crown, Her father, John Spencer, came from a line of nobles who'd served the monarchy for centuries. Her grandfather was friends with King George, and her grandmother was lady-in-waiting to Queen Elizabeth.
0: When Diana's parents, John and Francis Spencer, married, they understood immediately the importance of maintaining the noble lineage. After all, the couple's future son would be the next heir to the Earl of Spencer title, a noble ranking that almost guaranteed wealth and social prestige. And after giving birth to two
1: girls in 1959, Diana's mother finally gave birth to a boy,
0: John Spencer. The newborn lived only 10 hours, and though Diana's mom fell into a depression, the pressure was on to produce another male heir. Just over a year later, on July 1st, 1961, she gave birth.
1: According to biographer Andrew
0: Morton, their fourth child was the girl who should have been a boy. Her name was Diana Frances Spencer.
1: Diana's mom struggled to hide her true emotions. Even after she gave birth to a boy, Diana's younger brother Charles, in 1964, her depressive mood persisted. This left a dark cloud hanging over the Spencer marriage.
0: Though Diana wasn't at fault for her mother's frequent bouts of sadness, it's possible she blamed herself for them. According to research published in the Journal of Family Psychology, children of depressed parents are more likely to experience parental guilt induction. This occurs when a parent displaces blame for their own problems onto a child or continuously reminds them that they're burdensome. For Diana, this seemed to manifest in an acute sense that she wouldn't have been born had her first brother survived, and possibly that she herself had caused the strain in her parents' marriage. So it was all the
1: more devastating when Diana's mother walked out on them in 1966,
0: when Diana was just five. Frances told Diana she'd come back for her, but it was a hollow promise. In the aftermath, A heated custody battle broke out, and since Francis had been the bolter, John won custody of Diana and her siblings. Diana grew used to trekking
1: back and forth between the two parents, but she spent the majority of her time at the Sandringham Estate, where her father lived. Though he was emotionally distant and her sisters had gone off to boarding school, Diana found company to keep. Since the property belonged to Queen Elizabeth, she often brought her own family there for
0: visits. Diana wouldn't meet Prince Charles until later on, but she got along well with Princes Andrew and Edward. And on the 20,000 acres of English countryside, they had ample room to play.
1: These childhood experiences with the royals may have left Diana with a lasting impression that one day she'd be among them. At the very least, she expected to marry into another noble family. Still, she couldn't get too carried away with those dreams, for now.
0: As much fun as Diana's childhood may sound to us, it also came with a great deal of responsibility. At night, her brother Charles often cried out for his mom, and Diana seemed to step in as his surrogate caretaker, even though she was struggling with the same emotions. Their parents showered
1: them with gifts on holidays, but didn't offer much affection. Still, desperately attached to the idea of one big happy family, Diana fiercely fended off a turnstile of nannies her father hired. She deemed each one a threat to her mother.
0: But in 1973, the 12-year-old Diana had to confront the reality of her parents' split once and for all. That year, her dad introduced her to her stepmother to be, Rain.
1: Diana saw Rain as a huge threat. She found a letter in which Rain wrote out her hefty plans for their family estate, focused on the money they could bring in. It was a grotesque abuse of their family's
0: social status. But to Diana's dismay, none of this dissuaded her dad from remarrying in 1977. Now 16
1: years old, Diana watched as Rain stripped the Spencer home of its ornate charm. She sold off art pieces and converted part of the residence to a gift
0: shop for paying visitors. To mend her frayed sense of home, Diana leaned into female friendships, but none of them ever stuck. She got along better volunteering with elderly people and psychiatric patients. Her supervisor admired her deep empathy for those who were truly suffering. And to Diana, it felt like she was finally hitting her stride.
1: On the school front though, not so much. Diana failed her secondary school exams
0: twice before dropping out. But ultimately, this hiccup didn't have much impact on her future plans. As a young woman of high social standing, there was really only one goal. Finding a husband of means. In
1: 1977, Diana headed to Institut Alpin Vida Manette, a place that was supposed to ensure she
0: did exactly that. The elite Swiss finishing school cost her parents thousands of dollars. It prized etiquette over intellect, with courses in sewing, cookery, and dressmaking. Its affluent attendees expected to leave knowing how to position their knives on a placemat and behave properly at parties.
1: But Diana didn't care for any of it. After a year, she unenrolled, with a distinct sense that she was, quote, going
0: somewhere different. Determined to figure out where she belonged in the world, 18-year-old Diana headed to London. To aid the transition, her parents gifted her a 50,000-pound flat in the city. She lived in the
1: apartment with several other young women who paid Diana rent for the rooms. She also took up two jobs during this time, teaching kindergarten and
0: nannying. She excelled at both. Diana made kids feel seen in a way that many couldn't. She'd later reflect on this moment of her life as the happiest. Unfettered by education and the company of great girlfriends, she was free to explore adulthood. But through it all,
1: Diana had a distinct sense that she was being prepared for something greater,
0: even if it would cut her years of independence short. In 1980, that interruption came in the form of Charles, Prince of Wales.
1: Coming up, a royal engagement.
2: This episode is brought to you by Terminix,
1: Now, back to the story. In
0: 1980, Diana Spencer was trying her hand at City Life, living in London with a crowd of her girlfriends. Though she was a far cry from the quintessential working girl, this might have been the most ordinary moment in young Diana's life. She was a bachelorette in her prime, a woman who might become anything.
1: But 30-year-old Prince Charles was navigating an entirely different level of independence. After a major breakup with Camilla Parker Bowles nearly 10 years earlier, Charles had spent the past decade of his life as a royal bachelor. He dated some of England's most eligible women,
0: lending many of them the tabloid moniker Charlie's Angels. But his days of aimless flirtation were dwindling. Soon he'd have to marry. It was simply a matter of duty. At a weekend barbecue
1: in July 1980, Diana introduced herself to Charles. While she still carried the shyness she had as a kid, by now she'd had months in London under her belt. She knew her strengths, one of which was her empathy.
0: So rather than appeal to Charles with talk of polo or his life as a royal, she brought up how sad it made her to see him at his mentor's funeral the previous year. She told him he needed someone by his side, someone to support him. Touched by her sincerity, Charles kissed her right there. Almost immediately, Diana fell head over heels for the prince. It's impossible not to acknowledge the power
1: dynamic at play here. Charles was 12 years Diana's senior, in one of the most powerful positions in the world. For someone who'd been conditioned to believe marriage would be her greatest achievement, a relationship with this man was nothing
0: short of a dream. For weeks afterward, Diana lived in this dream state. When the phone rang... Her roommates would giggle with excitement, hoping that Buckingham Palace was on the other line. 19-year-old Diana would blush, giddy over her budding romance. But through it all, something about Prince Charles felt off. He was sad, restrained, and apprehensive. He'd call for several days straight, then not for another three weeks. It seems Prince Charles held uncertainty
1: about their developing relationship because he was still hung up on his
0: ex, Camilla. But Camilla never satisfied the royals. Diana, on the other hand, checked all the boxes. She came from a noble family, she was a leggy blonde, and she'd never had a boyfriend.
1: With his mom's stamp of approval, Charles decided he could grow to love her. So... Just two months after their July encounter, he invited
0: Diana to Balmoral, the royal family's vacation home. This was no doubt a test. The sprawling estate allowed the royals to let loose, providing the perfect backdrop for summer barbecues and outdoor activities.
1: For an outsider to be invited was a huge deal, and on this occasion, it meant Prince Charles wanted his family's seal of approval on
0: Diana. Naturally, Diana was nervous, but she played to her street smarts when a photographer encroached on her and Prince Charles while they were out fishing. She hid behind a tree, turned away from the camera, and held up her compact mirror, waiting until the coast was clear so she could make a smooth escape. The paparazzi didn't quite get the photo it had come for, and Charles left
1: feeling pleased with Diana's wit and her willingness to fish with him.
0: In reality, Diana didn't care much for outdoor hobbies, but the outing seemed to solidify his perception that Diana liked the same things he did, and it showed that she knew how to deal with the press.
1: As for the other family members, Diana's talent for reading people and knowing when to chime in gave her a unique advantage. Over the course of the weekend, she won them over with flying colors.
0: The first press reports of romance between Prince Charles and Diana came shortly after that trip to Balmoral. Over the next few months, Diana went from private nanny and schoolteacher to international sensation. Paparazzi followed her everywhere, trying to get details on the mysterious young woman who'd captured the heart of England's next king. And though she had no formal training on
1: coping with the press, Diana seemed to have a distinct sense of how to present herself. She'd often held her head down, but offered sly smiles and
0: small sentiments, breadcrumbs for a hungry public. About six months later, in February 1981, 32-year-old Prince Charles asked Diana to marry him.
1: Initially, Diana laughed aloud. She thought he was joking. She'd only met Charles 13 times, But Charles was serious. He reminded her that accepting his hand in marriage
0: meant that she would one day be the Queen of England. Excited by the thought, a timid Diana offered an okay, then told Charles, I love you so much. To which he replied, whatever love means. The words struck Diana as odd, and it wasn't the last time he used them. When the royal couple announced their engagement to the world several weeks later on February 24, 1981, Prince Charles repeated the expression to a newsman.
1: With that, a seed of doubt was planted in Diana's heart.
0: Nothing could have prepared her for the months ahead. Immense pressure fell on her shoulders as her former life evaporated in an instant. Right after the proposal... Diana left her two jobs. She was effectively moved out of her London flat and into Clarence House, where the Queen Mother lived.
1: To Diana, it was like checking into a hotel. Although the staff readily waited on her, it didn't feel like anyone had truly welcomed her into the home. She had no one to confide in, something she needed in this immense time of transition. Gone were the days of joking around with her girlfriends, If she so much as called them for advice, she ran the risk of a catastrophic
0: media leak. It's likely the emotionally restrained nature of the royal family only further added to her overwhelm. Around this time, Diana developed bulimia nervosa. Notably, in a study on bulimia in Czech au pairs who lived abroad, researchers found that the eating disorder was correlated with loneliness. To cope with her solitary struggle, The women binged and purged.
1: While Diana wasn't nannying in a foreign country, she might as well have been. Unable to safely confide in anyone but her tight-lipped in-laws, Diana may have felt bulimia gave her control and emotional
0: release amid her own isolation. She later described the fullness from overeating as like having a pair of arms around you. This underscores Diana's sense that no one was around to comfort her.
1: Her husband-to-be certainly wasn't. He seemed more interested in his
0: persisting friendship with his ex, 33-year-old Camilla. Throughout the engagement, Diana grew increasingly aware of something going on between the two. One day, before Charles was leaving on a five-week trip, he opted to spend his final hour speaking to Camilla on the phone.
1: This was one of many times Charles chose Camilla over Diana. The issue went unaddressed, however, while wedding plans kicked into overdrive.
0: With a $48 million price tag, the 3,500-person affair would be the event of the century, for all but the two at the very center of it.
1: When Charles realized Diana had an eating disorder, the illusion of the happy-go-lucky girl he'd proposed to vanished. In her place was a deeply vulnerable woman with a complicated past, someone
0: he wasn't sure he wanted to marry. Yet Charles didn't call the engagement off, telling friends, I want to do the right thing by my family. I want to do the right thing by my country.
1: His sense of duty overrode his integrity. Meanwhile, Diana struggled to stomach the nagging fear
0: that Charles didn't love her back. And for good reason. Just days before the wedding, Diana found a package at the royal office.
1: When Diana ripped it open, she discovered a gold bracelet engraved with the initials G and F for Gladys and Fred, the nicknames Camilla and Charles used for one another.
0: Devastated, Diana told her sisters she couldn't go through with the wedding, but they insisted that her face was already on the tea towels. It was too late to back out, so the wedding planning continued.
1: The night before the ceremony, in a moment of honesty, Charles told Diana he didn't love her. Perhaps he thought things would go more smoothly if Diana understood what she was getting herself into.
0: When she woke on July 29th, 1981, Diana was deathly calm, the day's events pushing her forward like a funeral procession. That day, 750
1: million people watched Diana marry Charles, Prince of Wales, at St. Paul's Cathedral. Waving from the balcony of Buckingham Palace in her extravagant wedding gown, Diana was a shrunken version of who she'd been half a year prior, both emotionally and physically. In that time, her waistline had gone from 29 to 23 and a half inches.
0: On their honeymoon, matters went from bad to worse. The Royal Yacht boasted plenty of space to cuddle and make memories, but Charles was more interested in reading his books than spending time with his new wife. Although he did make time for Camilla, calling her every single day of the trip.
1: One day, when Charles and Diana pulled out their calendars to talk plans,
0: two photos of Camilla slipped out of Charles' calendar. To cope, Diana continued to binge and purge. When the family had their annual outing to Balmoral shortly after, Diana retreated to her room for much of it.
1: Her difficulty adjusting was noticed by all. The queen was particularly upset about Diana's inability to transition
0: to the royal lifestyle. But others in the family tried to support the young Diana, The queen's sister, Princess Margaret, felt sympathy for her. She reportedly advised the queen to let her do what she likes. At the time, Margaret had faith that Diana would come around. And Prince
1: Philip, husband to the queen, was also supportive of Diana. When he first entered the royal family, Philip didn't have the approval of his wife's father. So it's likely Philip was able to empathize with Diana's feelings of
0: being out of place in this new environment. Unfortunately, these alliances couldn't make up for the fact that Diana's new life was taking an enormous toll on her. And rather than help her, Prince Charles told his family Diana was troubled. As the couple's marital struggles piled up, that was the excuse the royals accepted. The problem, was the newcomer, not her husband.
1: Coming up, a royal pregnancy. Now, back to the story.
0: In the fall of 1981, Diana announced that she was carrying the future heir to the monarchy. But the pregnancy was a disaster of its own. While the British press went baby crazy...
1: Diana was facing the stress of living up to her royal title. Plagued by bouts of morning sickness, Diana often felt too weak to follow
0: her husband's schedule. And yet, she had an image to uphold. Diana had to be charming without overdoing it, give speeches to the masses, and look like a happy wife, even though she was far from it.
1: Somehow, even though she felt exhausted from the pregnancy, Diana
0: knew how to turn it on for cameras. And pretty soon, when she'd greet the public with Prince Charles, they'd call out for her, not him. It made him jealous. She'd only had a title for a short time, yet she'd already won favor from the masses. Paradoxically,
1: all Diana truly wanted at this time was encouragement from her husband and the royal family. She'd later reflect, they'd be there to criticize me,
0: but never there to say, well done. Exasperated, four months into her pregnancy, Diana threw herself down the stairs. Diana claimed
1: she knew she wouldn't lose the baby, but the incident spooked Queen Elizabeth, who rushed to her side, shaking.
0: Meanwhile, Charles went for a ride on his horse as though nothing had happened. When he returned, he minimized Diana's emotions, telling her she was just crying wolf. His dismissal only thrust Diana deeper into her spiral, feeling wholly ignored by the man who was supposed to be her life partner. As the pregnancy wore on, Diana grew increasingly
1: overwhelmed while Charles grew more despondent. But even the cold front in their marriage couldn't detract from the joy of Prince William's birth
0: on June 21st, 1982. But in the aftermath of her first child's birth, Diana was gripped by post depression. Psychiatrists prescribed pills, but Diana felt that what she truly needed was rest. She'd spent her pregnancy pushing herself. Now she needed to give herself time. Prince Charles didn't see it that way. He continued to downplay the severity of her problems. Desperate for him to understand her struggles, Diana repeatedly reverted to self-harm. There were at least five times she attempted suicide. It may have
1: seemed to her like self-harm was a way of gaining a sense of control out of a life that no longer felt hers. Researchers at the University of Turin, Italy, hypothesized that sensations from self-harm may also be linked to a renewed sense of agency, of being an individual who is capable of taking action in and on her environment. Despite her enormous mental health challenges, Diana was still a doting mother to young William. And in 1984, 23-year-old Diana gave birth to
0: her second son, Harry, For Diana, it was a moment of great joy. Prince Charles, on the other hand, was seemingly less interested in the new child. Apparently, he remarked that he wanted a girl. Reminded of the way her own parents had cast their gender disappointment on her, Diana was livid. Charles' opinion
1: wasn't the only one that mattered. Diana was Harry's parent, too and she'd do whatever she needed to ensure he never felt lesser than, even if it meant
0: breaking royal protocol. From that moment, Diana devoted her all to the boys, showering them with affection. On its own, this might not seem like an act of rebellion, but the royal family is known for keeping such displays to a minimum. Public outings were deemed business matters, and hugs weren't seen as professional. — Diana disagreed.
1: Photos of her and her boys across the years reveal her fierce emphasis on cuddling and physical closeness. She also wanted them to have as normal an upbringing as possible, insisting that they go to school so they could be among
0: other kids. And despite busy royal agendas, Diana also spent a lot of time with them at home, Perhaps this was her way of ensuring they didn't grow up surrounded by emotionally distant caretakers like she had.
1: These choices empowered her, in a similar way to the time she'd spent in London with her girlfriends. She was reminded how skilled she was at caring for others. Soon, this newfound confidence bled into her duties as
0: princess. In 1989... Diana opened a charity for AIDS and used her own publicity to draw attention to the cause. Her confidence radiated. A new sense of self-sovereignty seemed to mark her actions.
1: One night that year, she joined Charles at a birthday party for Camilla's sister. Though Charles tried to dissuade Diana from attending, she knew Camilla would be there, and she wanted to make her presence known.
0: Several hours into the party, Diana found Charles and Camilla in the basement chatting on a couch together. Upset, Diana asked for a private word with Camilla and admitted she knew exactly what was going on.
1: This little interaction at the party left Charles livid. At this point, the two felt like their marriage was beyond repair. Stuck in a relationship that was little more than a public show, Both Charles and
0: Diana entertained extramarital affairs. While Charles' regular visits to Camilla never raised a word from the press, Diana's harmless outings with male friends often won their scorn. The inequities were glaring. But by now, Diana knew that feeling sorry for herself got
1: her nowhere. If she wanted any control over her story, she'd have to take matters into her own hands.
0: So, in 1991, at age 30, Diana approached her friend and asked her to help write an autobiography. There was just one caveat. It would have to be written without anyone knowing she'd participated in it. She settled
1: on British royal reporter Andrew Morton as the writer. For months, audiotapes of Diana's interviews inside Buckingham Palace were clandestinely
0: transported to the outside. A year later, in 1992, the book came out with a bang. It was a tell-all to beat all tell-alls, and as Diana had anticipated, the Crown wasn't pleased.
1: While she didn't outright admit to sharing information herself, Diana did tell the public that she'd encouraged her friends and family to talk with a reporter.
0: To the royal family, it was betrayal. She'd broken a code of conduct
1: mere months later 31 year old diana and 44 year old charles announced their separation their drama had become so messy that even the queen encouraged them to get a divorce it took four years for the couple to reach a settlement but they eventually divorced in
0: 1996. as part of the settlement diana agreed to step down from the british throne so long as she was able to retain her apartments at Kensington Place and her title as Princess of Wales. But those were meager keepings given what was about to be taken from her. First and foremost, royal security, at a time when she needed it most.
1: Diana became increasingly vulnerable to paparazzi who stalked her every move. And she began to worry that the royal family might have a dark vendetta
0: but 35-year-old Diana pushed past her fear to make further humanitarian strides throughout 1997. She stepped out into active landmines in Africa and worked to raise money for a cancer hospital in Pakistan.
1: She also made great efforts to spend time in the summer months with her children, who, now
0: 12 and 15, were forming a new sort of bond with their mother. During this time, Diana met a new man, Dodi Al-Fayed, an Egyptian film producer and heir to the Harrods department store empire. On
1: the morning of August 30th, 1997, Diana awoke on Dodi's yacht, which was anchored on the emerald coast of Sardinia. That afternoon, Diana and Dodi jetted to Paris, where Dodi had an important meeting to
0: make, a ring appointment at Harrods. But the moment they landed in the city of love, paparazzi was all over them. Unable to eat in town, the two resorted to dinner at their hotel, the Ritz.
1: But even there, privacy was impossible. So around midnight, they
0: set up an escape plan. They directed several cars to exit the hotel through the front, while they headed out the back where Henri Paul, the head of security at the Ritz, was waiting for them.
1: Henri knew the streets of Paris well. If all went according to plan, they'd be at Dodi Al-Fayed's Paris apartment
0: in no time. But the diversion didn't work. Within minutes, a fleet of motorcycles sped behind them along the River Seine, armed with cameras.
1: Around 12.23 a.m., Henri Paul steered into the Pont de l'Alma tunnel. Moments later, the car collided with a pillar killing Henri Paul and Dodi Al-Fayed almost instantly.
0: But two people were still alive, Dodi's bodyguard and Diana. She was just barely clinging to life. Emergency responders massaged her heart, trying to keep her alive before she was shuttled off in an ambulance. But in the early hours of the morning at a nearby hospital, she succumbed to internal bleeding due to a tear in her pulmonary vein.
1: Billions mourned as news outlets feasted on the story. The royal family sequestered Diana's sons at Balmoral to keep them away from the
0: hubbub. As for the investigation, Paris police officers cleaned the crime scene and put the blame on the driver, who allegedly had alcohol in his system at the time of the accident.
1: One emergency responder on the scene claims Diana said something right before falling unconscious forever. My God, what
0: has happened? Though Diana's life far eclipses the tragedy of her death, her last question echoes on, igniting a mystery that people have devoted decades to solving. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next time with the second episode in our three-part series on Princess Diana. You can find all episodes of Conspiracy Theories and Crimes of Passion from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: Next episode, we'll do a deep dive on all theories surrounding Diana's fatal crash and we'll look for holes in the police investigation
0: that followed. For more information on Princess Diana, among the many sources we used, we found Diana, her true story in her own words, extremely helpful to our research. We'll see you next time. Crimes of Passion and Conspiracy Theories are Spotify originals from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Scott Stronick, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This special episode of Crimes of Passion and Conspiracy Theories was written by Lauren DeLille, edited by Amber Von Schassen, and Kate Gallagher. Fact-checked by Haley Milligan, researched by Mickey Taylor and Chelsea Wood, and produced by Bruce Katovich. This special episode of Crimes of Passion and Conspiracy Theories stars Molly Brandenburg and Laney Hobbs.